University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkland. Visit ubc-br.org or at ubcbr on Facebook for more information. Martha Stearns uh, Marshall served as a Baptist pastor during the 18th century. And along with her husband, David, Martha served the Mohawk Indians. And at the start of the French and Indian War, the Marshalls left New England, and they settled into Virginia. And the couple influenced, uh, were influenced by the Philadelphia Baptist Association. And during this period, the couple was baptized into what's called the regular Baptist tradition. They then founded churches in North Carolina, Virginia, and Georgia. In fact, I grew up right down the road from one of the churches that she and her husband founded. Martha is significant because she is a critical female voice rising out of the sea of patriarchy in the Baptist tradition. And as cooperative Baptists, we celebrate women like Martha for giving formation to our faith tradition. She is a pioneer leading the way for female pastors, preachers, and visionaries. In 2007, Baptist Women in Ministry was inviting Baptist churches to participate in what's called Martha Stearns Marshall Month of Preaching by having women preach during the month of February. For many churches, that's outside of their tradition. And this annual event has been a profoundly significant source of joy and discovery for many women and for churches. Today, we are honored to have Dr. Meredith Stone as our guest preacher. Um, As a former associate dean of academics and assistant professor of scripture and ministry at Logson Seminary of Hardin-Simmons University, Dr. Meredith Stone brings an exciting new chapter to Baptist women in ministry, or some of us that call it BWIM. She's a native of Texas. Uh, She had previously served as ordained minister in roles of teaching pastor and interim pastor for emerging adults and Baptist congregations in Texas and women and ministry specialist for Texas Baptist. She is a graduate of Hardin-Simmons University, uh, where she earned her undergraduate degree, and she has a doctorate of philosophy from Bright Divinity School, which is part of TCU, or Texas Christian University. While she's not going to be here with us in person, she's going to be with us here online, And so please join me in welcoming Dr. Meredith Stone. Good morning. It's a privilege to be with you this morning, even if it is virtually. I bring you greetings from Baptist Women in Ministry, where I serve as executive director. Our organization exists to encourage and support women who are serving in and women who are called to ministry, as well as to advocate for the full affirmation of women in ministry and leadership in Baptist life. One of our initiatives is something we call BWIM Month of Preaching, in which we encourage churches to have a woman preach in the month of February. And so I'm so grateful for the opportunity to be your preacher this morning as a part of that initiative. But I'm also grateful to you, University Baptists, for all of the ways in which you affirm and elevate the women within your congregation and in ministry and in leadership. We're so grateful for your partnership in this good work. One of the great gifts of my job is I get to hear a lot of stories. I get to hear stories of women, of congregations. I get to hear stories of calling. 
I also hear stories of hardship and marginalization. But I also hear those stories of fulfillment and courage in the face of those difficulties. Best of all, I get to hear stories of hope. There's a particular kind of story that I've come to appreciate, and it's a story that's called the, the backstory. That story of something that happened before what's happening now, but which informs, sometimes inspires, but, but always illuminates the things that are happening in the present. We've seen this a lot in film recently, in, in movies about heroes and superheroes. Each of the heroes or heroines experiences some sort of personal difficulty which moves them into action. Harry Potter, Spider-Man, Batman, Captain Marvel, Rey from the latest Star Wars installment, each of these characters has that personal trajectory of, of turmoil, of suffering in their lives, which illuminates their need to right which has been wrong, to transform trajectories that have led to injustice into stories that bring hope and justice to others. So this morning I want us to look at a biblical story which I think functions very similarly to these kinds of backstories. So I want to introduce you to five women who I think are among the most influential in all the Bible. Makla, Hogla, Milka, Tirzah, and Noah, also known as the daughters of Zelophehad. Their story is going to come in Numbers 27, but actually the first time we hear their names is in Numbers 26, a chapter before, in the census, which is being taken. Now, this second census in the book of Numbers is, is happening right as the Israelites are on the verge of entering the promised land for a couple of reasons. One, they need to make sure that all those who have been punished to die out before going into the promised land have done so. And second, they needed to count the total number of men that they would have available to fight when they moved in to conquer the promised land. Now, theological questions with those two things aside, as we're reading the census, we, we go tribe by tribe, clan by clan, and we hear the number of men in each, but then all of a sudden we get this detail that Zelophehad had no sons, only these five daughters. Kind of an odd detail to include. But even before we hear their story in Numbers 27, we probably could already imagine a few things about the lives of these women. Since their names are included in the census, it means that they weren't among that previous generation destined to die out, but they were born in the wilderness. Their entire life had been spent in this nomadic existence, never having a settled home, a domesticated agricultural system that they could rely on. Instead, all they had was the desert as well as the manna and quail that God provided, but which they often complained about. And in addition to, to the difficulties of wilderness life for all of the Israelites, I have to imagine that it was even more difficult for the women. The women would have been responsible for making sure that their families were fed, for packing the tents. If, if they were traveling from one place to another, another and there were animals to ride on, I imagine the women weren't afforded that opportunity. And as in most patriarchal 
societies, these wilderness women would have had to rely on their men. You see, they relied on the fact that their, their father or their husband was going to get an allotment of land in the promised land, which would give them this peace and security of having a home, which would make their lives a little bit easier. Women didn't get inheritances. They didn't get allotments of land. And so when we meet Zelophehad's daughters, we find out that the, the man they rely upon is their father because we know they have no brothers. And since no husbands are listed and their names are in relation to their fathers, we assume that they weren't married. So even before we hear their story, we can know these two details about the lives of these five women. One, it was difficult. And two, all of their hope was tied to their father. So as we begin reading their story in Numbers 27, in verse 1, this is what it says. So the daughters of Zelophehad, son of Hepher, son of Gilead, son of Machir, son of Manasseh, they belonged to the clans of Manasseh, son of Joseph. And the names of the daughters were Machla, Noah, Hogla, Milcah, and Tirzah. And they came forward and stood before Moses, Eleazar the priest, the leaders, and the whole assembly at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Now, the tent of meeting was, was something that sat right in the middle of the Israelite camp. So I imagine these, these five women working their way through all of their tents to reach this midpoint in the middle of it all and stand in front of Moses and their highest leaders and the whole assembly. And assembly is a word that in an Old Testament essentially just meant all of the Israelites. But before we go thinking that maybe that's a small crowd, we actually know how many Israelites there were because we just finished the census. There were 601,730 men plus 23,000 Levites plus the women and children. Talk about the boldness of this move. These women come forward and stand in front of all these people and not to mention, if we happened to be reading Numbers as a straight narrative, we would have seen that the last time a woman came to the entrance of the tent of meeting in Numbers 25, she ended up impaled by a spear. This was not some everyday kind of action. It took bravery. And as we see the first words that they say, we find out what motivated them to this act because their first words are, our father died in the wilderness. We hear the crux of their problem. In addition to the, the grief that I'm sure that they felt in losing their father, a grief that's maybe all too familiar to us these days. For them, in addition to that grief, as, as women in this society, women who had no brothers or husbands, when they lost their father, they not only lost a parent, they lost all of their hope. They would be left as, as women who didn't have a, a father or a husband to live in extreme poverty, be passed from family to family treated who knows how, or maybe even just left in the desert to die. But somehow, in the midst of their grief and hopelessness, they come up with this plan 
to go together bravely before Moses and the whole assembly. And they say, our father died in the wilderness, but he was not among Korah's followers who banded together against the Lord. These were some people who were also destined to die out. He died for his own sin and left no sons. So why should our father's name disappear from his clan because he had no son? Give us property among our father's relatives. The women come forward and say, give us land. Now, when we look at the biblical narrative, we, we don't see any instance of where women would have been given property or an inheritance before. But here they come asking for it. And they make this case, and it had to do with their father's legacy. They say that their father's name would disappear. And in the Old Testament, your, your name living on was kind of like your afterlife. It was how you knew your, your life had mattered if your name lived on. And so even though I'm sure their welfare was heavy on their minds, Zelophehad's daughters come and say, we're worried about our father's legacy. Now, some people have heard this bit and said, oh, you know, Zelophehad's daughters, they're just using this thing about their father's name because they're selfish and they want to get what they want in this land. But we have no indication of that in the text. We see no selfishness. We don't hear them saying to Moses, you have to give us this land because we're worse off than everybody else around us. No, they don't make their welfare their top priority even sure i'm i'm sure it was heavy on their minds furthermore if they were selfish I, I think we would see some feuding among them that they would be arguing over who gets what but instead they come together together they come to moses and ask for this land furthermore i think we can be assured that their intentions are pure when we see how God responds to their request. Because in verse five, it says, so Moses brought their case before the Lord and the Lord said to him, what Zelophehad's daughters are saying is right. You must certainly give them property as inheritance among their father's relatives and give their father's inheritance to them. God says they're right. The law didn't account for this kind of injustice. And so Moses, we have to make it right. Give them the land because what they are saying is right. The storyline for these five women, the trajectory of their lives had been set when their father died. They were destined to live in poverty. They were destined to be waiting for that tragic end and praying that somehow it wouldn't happen. But somehow they found the courage to speak up. And when they did so, when they took this action, they transformed the trajectory of injustice in their life into a story of redemption. But here's the greatest part. Because God didn't just stop and say what Zelophehad's daughters are saying is right and give property to them. God continued and said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, if a man dies and leaves no son, give his inheritance to his daughters too. 
And if he has no daughter, give it to his brothers, no brothers, to his father's brothers. This is to have the force of law for the Israelites as the Lord commanded Moses. A new law gets created. When Maklah, Holglah, Milcah, Tirzah, and Noah come forward on that day, they not only change their story from one of hopelessness into one of hope, but they change the story for other women who would come after them as well. Surely this had happened before. Surely some other father had died, leaving only daughters and no sons, but no one had spoken up. They were content to just pass on by and let that trajectory of injustice continue toward its end. But these seemingly insignificant, unprotected, lowly women find the courage to stand together and speak their hope into existence. And when they do, they transform this trajectory of suffering into a story that brings redemption not only for them, but for others. In doing so, they become the backstory not only for this law, but they also become a backstory for hope. So the question for us becomes, can we become like? Makla, Hogla, Milcah, Tirzah, and Noah. Can we be people who dare to speak hope into existence? To become backstories for the work of God's redemption in this world. When we look around us, unfortunately, the stories of suffering are all too familiar. We see stories of injustice, stories of people who face hardship and marginalization, stories of people in disadvantaged and incurable situations. Maybe those stories are our own. It's our own hopelessness, our own pain. But maybe they're the stories of others, others who we are sometimes tempted to pass by and let their trajectories continue. How might we become like these five women and dare to speak up? How might we become daughters of Zelophehad? If a daughter of Zelophehad is someone who changes trajectories of injustice into stories that bring hope and redemption to people, then I think there are daughters of Zelophehad all among us. Tarana Burke is the woman who first used the phrase, me too, to bring awareness to women's experiences of sexual assault, harassment, and misconduct. Out of her own experience of pain, out of her own experience of rape, and abuse, she found the bravery to speak up, to encourage other women to come forward, to confront the systemic realities that had caused these things to happen without repercussion in the first place. And so Tarana Burke is a daughter of Zalafahed. 
Patrice Cullors, Alicia Garza, and Opal Tometi are the co-founders of the Black Lives Matter movement. In the wake of the murder of Trayvon Martin, these women decided that they could no longer stand by as they watched in their community the disproportionate murder of unarmed black lives. And so they formed this organization, this movement, which has helped us to address the great need for racial justice and equity in our society. And so Patrice Cullors, Alicia Garza, and Opal Tometi are daughters of Zalafahed. But you don't have to be a woman to be a daughter of Zalafahed, because I'm even inclined to point to the one who is the ultimate backstory for all of our hope. The one who, though human and divine, willingly entered into and encountered suffering and pain and injustice and through his sacrifice, transformed those trajectories of pain into this grand and marvelous plotline of grace extended to all people. And so I can't help but call Jesus a daughter of Zalafahed as well. So how will we join in their work? How will we become like Jesus and Patrice and Alicia and Opal and Tirana, Makla, Hogla, Milka, Tirza, and Noah? What will it look like when, when we dare to speak up? when we transform those trajectories of hopelessness into stories that bring hope? How will we become the backstories of hope, of redemption, of grace in participating with God's work in this world? May the Almighty God grant us the courage that it might be said of us, we are the daughters of Zalafahed. Amen.